Hi, and welcome to SolveCast, where we provide short, detailed answers to the questions that matter most to you. I'm Connor McKnight, and my guest today is Jason Vanetti. He's the television play-by-play voice of the Chicago White Sox. Jason, thank you so much for being on SolveCast today to talk about how sports broadcasting has worked to solve the problems presented by COVID-19. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm glad this is not interior decorating cast because I would, I would get an F. That was, our, that was our first thought about what we should talk to Jason Benetti about. And we thought, you know, the white walls, the blinds, it's a little much. He seems to have an aesthetic. Maybe just let that go. Jason, Major League Baseball had a long shutdown of a couple of months and then about a month to ramp up time this summer to playing live games again. As you and the broadcast team sat down to prepare for broadcasting games you wouldn't be at, what were some of the first things you all tried to solve for? Uh, well, solve for how we had meetings. I mean, like we can't be in the same room. A lot of TV is sit in a group, talk about ideas, see what happens over a meal, whatever it might be. Can't do that. So it was a lot of individual phone calls and it was a lot of talking about, uh, first of all, what we're going to look at for road games because, well, let me actually, let me step back and, and say more broadly, where are we going to sit? Like, how are Steve and I going to be in a booth together? Because we usually do an open shoulder to shoulder. I'll turn to him and he's right here. That's not going to happen. And so it's, hey, let's put us in a double box like we are right now. I'm in one side of the booth. He's in another side of the booth. We're about 12 feet away. Okay, that's number one. Who can we have in the booth? How many people can we have in the booth? Because sometimes it's Grand Central Station in a regular season with a camera person, a couple camera people, audio person, a lot of running around. It's three of us. It's Steve and I and Joe Groove, our stage manager. Uh, and then the discussion was, how are we going to make sure that for road games, when we're not in the road ballpark, we get to see everything? So it's how many monitors are we going to have? What angles are we going to have? Uh, what cameras are we going to be able to look at? Uh, are the lights going to be on in the stadium? Will other things be happening in the stadium while road games are happening? And then broadly, I mean, the main general concept is, how do you keep the energy when there's nobody in the stands? Uh, what do you shoot? How does it look? So those are some of the questions that we asked. But, but A number one was just physically, spatially, where are we going to be? What did you try that you thought would work that ended up not working? Oh, um, that's interesting. I think uh, we actually, we've only done 48 games or so, so far. So we are an absolute success story. No, I just, I'm, I, in terms of uh, trying and failing, that happened for me personally before the White Sox season started because I was doing, and I still am doing Korean baseball games from my living room for ESPN. And the first thing that happens when you do those games is you realize the energies. You have to bring the energy. You have to overcompensate for the energy and make it sound like an interesting thing for people to watch. If you sound disengaged, that's a disaster because people can hear that in your voice very quickly. So for me, it was sitting down, putting a headset on and then going, oh, no, no, no. I have to project way further. So I, I had done that troubleshoot before the White Sox season started, but it's a terribly important one because when we had the no-hitter in the White Sox season, I kind of knew where my energy needed to be because I had done it and, and not succeeded at first. You had some other prep, uh, some strange prep going into the season because your network, NBC Sports Chicago, puts together some simulated games via PlayStation using the video game MLB The Show. You called them almost just like a real game. Did you learn anything there? 
Uh, I actually did. And it's that uh, I am a psychopath because the first, no, the first, the first game we did of those video games, I got lost in it. It was at Fenway Park, fake Fenway Park, uh, 3264, 256-bit Fenway Park. But it was at Fenway Park. And in about the sixth inning, I'm sitting there with Chuck Garfine. I'm telling stories about the Fenway Park hot dog vending machines, which I think are quirky and hilarious. And I got lost in it. And it was one of those reminders, like, number one, here's why I love to do this again. You have it taken away. And of course, you, you realize how much you love to do it. But number two, you can, through narration, add to anything. And it was one of those moments where I thought, wow, my brain is actually better at solving this problem than I thought, because I was looking at a computer screen and it was not real players in the least. And I, it was fantasy land, but it seemed real for, for a couple hours. So this is where I think Major League Baseball broadcasting has lessons all the way down to anybody in their house taking Zoom meetings instead of being in person. There are things that many people in many walks of life are going to learn about the way we've had to live over the last few months. And they're going to take it with them once we return to something closer to normal. What are a handful of things that you think the television industry, sports broadcasting in general, may take with it as, God willing, things return to closer to normal? Yeah, I, I think number one, it's just the understanding that um, even if you're doing 162 games, they all have to really feel like they're huge, even with 12,000 people in the stands. I mean, you, you know how it is. Like, there's a rain delay and there are 6,000 people and it's like, okay, well, you know, let's get after it, but also let's go home and get rest and go do the next game. I think number one, it's just any anything you do any undertaking even if you do a lot of it has to really viscerally matter and it's got to come through the screen um in terms of what the broadcasting industry can do as a whole I, i've learned a ton doing one college football game so far for espn i was doing that for my living room it was eastern kentucky and marshall i had six screens up multiple ipads multiple computers two uh, big 38-inch monitors. We had a spotter at the game. My stats person was at home. I had a spotter in my home, socially distanced. But, but you can do through technology some things that were done in person. It's not the same, but I do think the understanding that there are some proxies that technology can be used for that can, uh, I actually think budgetary-wise, uh, you can do some things that aren't totally necessary to the product that can save money to free up money to do the things that are absolutely necessary for the product. Like I think the line shifting on balance sheets might be a successful one by the end of this as well. But, but uh, before I go any further, I think this is really important and I left this out, the A number one most difficult thing for our TV crew this year is that they're doing a world feed. So they have to do a telecast for both our show and the other team's show. So when we're on the, on the home side, we're producing our show, but the visiting team has one camera dedicated to their show in the ballpark. We have all the rest. They have to take all of our cameras and our replays. When we're the road team, we're at the mercy of their cameras and their shots and all of that. So our crew needs to patch over, if they're doing something with their sideline reporter, 
we've got to use our camera to get shots to patch over it. And nobody at home cares at all. They just want to enjoy the game. So if I say, well, they're talking to their sideline reporter, people will throw tomatoes at me through their television screen. But we're at the mercy. Like there was a play, there was a play in Minneapolis where the, the director of the twin show really likes reaction shots of faces uh, in the batter's box. So it was like a long drive on a fly ball that I thought was gone based on the reaction of Edwin Encarnacion. And here he is running down the base path for four steps. Well, I don't, I can't see the ball. So like I, I'm looking at my other monitor, which is over top of the field. But if I get it wrong, nobody wants to hear me blame somebody else. Like it's my job to get it right. I mean, frankly, I don't think we should be watching the batter for four steps out of the batter's box. To me, the Emmy committee isn't going to love that necessarily, but some people think otherwise. Uh, so for me, like, that's the most difficult part because frankly, again, nobody cares about this inside TV stuff. They just want an entertaining telecast. So there are a lot of small things with that world feed that as you watch the game, if you really look for it, you might see it, but it's our job to patch over it. Something you guys have continued to do on White Sox broadcasts, even in the pandemic era of broadcasting, is bring in people, uh, players, coaches, family members into the broadcast. White Sox reliever Zach Birdie made his major league debut this year. He's one of about 90 White Sox rookies to make their debut this season. Great year. Uh, but you had the entire Birdie family, of which there are many, and all of them vocal and hilarious, on the broadcast. Do you think that efforts like that will be duplicated by other places? What are the pluses and minuses from a broadcast standpoint of having people who are in a third or fourth location while you're doing a game at Guaranteed Rate Field? That's, a, that's another thing, and I'm glad you said that because that is absolutely something that will happen more on the telecast. You don't have to fly somebody in to have them on your show anymore. I mean, uh, with the Birdie family, the Stever family, Jonathan Stever made his major league debut the other day, and we had mom, dad, sister, sister, girlfriend, all in one place. Uh, we had the Madrigal family from like three separate locations, including a national park. Nick's brother was in a national park watching the game. I don't know how he got a TV and a Zoom feed. It was on UHF. I have no idea. But uh, the, the challenges are just simply managing, watching the game, while we're talking to them and making sure that the big moments still get punctuated. But absolutely, I mean, through FaceTime on our ESPN shows, we've had all sorts of guests. Like last week on KBO, I have these little plush toys of minor league mascots on my wall behind me when I do KBO games because all the stuff that I own is in my other room. Uh, all these little plush toys and one of them is the Rocky Mountain Vibes have a mascot named Toasty who is a s'more with sunglasses on and our producer booked Toasty to be on the show so like the in Colorado Springs they're just sitting in the clubhouse at the stadium with Toasty and he was on for a half an inning we had a non-speaking s'more mascot named Toasty for like 10 minutes and it was grand. It was really fun. Toasty's not getting on an American Airlines flight to come visit us. That would be both weird and not cost effective. And I don't know exactly whether or not s'mores demand first class fare. But yeah, absolutely. You can just be more creative with all this stuff. You can bring people in from a distance and have sort of a celebration of the game. Jason, really appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks so much. 
Thank you for being on Solvecast today. Thank you for having me, Connor, and I love your brick wall.